Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use. And wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. So, hey, this is Dyke Drummond. Welcome to the next Physicians on Purpose podcast. Today, what we're going to talk about is best practices in leadership communication in healthcare leadership. And I'm on the actual line with uh, Mike Schuf. Mike's a family doc from Nebraska. Uh, Mike is a graduate of our quadruple aim physician leadership program. And as I've gotten to know Mike and the way he works in his leadership position, I consider him to be a best practice in leadership communication. What I'd like to do is just have a chat with Mike here and have him tell you what he does naturally and automatically. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be with you. Well, tell me a little bit about the people that you are in charge of, your leadership position, how much of your uh, job it is, how much of an FTE it is. And what you do regularly to stay in touch with the different people that you're responsible for. I just would like you to go through that nice and easy. Sure. So, so as I tell people, my fancy dancy title is a primary care medical director. We practice in a dyad model. So I'm the physician medical director for primary care in our local uh, suburban area or, or metro area. And then I've got actually two of the operations business type directors that work with me, keep the place running um, and the bills paid and those sorts of things. So between the three of us, medically and business-wise, we try to keep things running. And we've got 22 primary care clinics in our metro area, family physicians, internal medicine physicians, med peds, pediatrics, about 100 providers, about 100 physicians, and about 100 advanced practitioners, PAs, nurse practitioners. Um, most of our clinics are the traditional primary care. We also have some urgent care clinics built into our primary care clinics. And many of our clinics have an extended, we call it a family health center, where we've got pharmacy, physical therapy, and other things embedded within our primary care clinics. So that's who we are and what, what we try to take care of. And to your other point about how do we stay connected, I, I know that the time that I spend in my office up in the headquarters building is one of the least effective things I do. Um, I definitely need time to be there to work on emails and, and meetings. And a significant part of the job also is coordinating with our various specialists across our industry um, and in our world. So so working with the hospitals and the endocrinologists and the whatever else is, those are some important parts. But but the most important time and the most effective time I have is when I'm out in the clinics, spending time with the docs and the nurse practitioners and the PAs and the nurses and the administrators and all those folks, just talking to them about how their day is going and what's happening and, and getting their feedback, especially on things like we commun- I think we've communicated something and it didn't quite get through the way I thought it was, or... Are the practices we're teaching actually happening? For example, we've lately been working on you know, making sure we're taking care of hypertension well. And one of those first foundation floors is how do you measure a blood pressure right? Well, one of our senior leaders went to one of our clinics the other day, and despite him even prompting them, they blew it. <laughs> and so, okay, how do we get out and, 
and help reteach and, and reformat what we're doing, but mostly listening. And, and so what are their concerns? And, and something that seems straightforward and easy and an obvious way to do things, in my mind, doesn't portray that way in their world. And so what can we take back and change? And how can we listen? And, and just knowing there, there's just something about that look in their eyes when they say, hey, somebody came to talk to me who will really listen. And, and I've learned that even if I don't do anything, if nothing comes of it long term, the fact that I was there honestly makes a significant difference. And I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by that, but it's true. And I see it over and over and over again. Yep, that's awesome. And, and one of the things we teach here at the Happy MD is about the five to one ratio. Your relationship with the people that you represent as a leader is dependent upon trust. There is a trust account between you and everybody in the organization and the way that you build a positive balance in your trust account so that the people feel like they trust you and that you have their back is to have five positive interactions with them to every one negative one. And I've already told you about this, Mike, and I know you, la- you laughed when I first said it. I call it the, the lookup trust test. So for most doctors, and I've done this around a lot, of, a lot of groups of doctors when I'm doing a live training, I say, hey, if your receptionist came up to you and said, hey, 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 Mike, your boss is in the waiting room, wants to see you between your next two patients. Is that a good thing? And everybody in the room would say, no, I'm in trouble. Well, just so you know, they look down at their toes and they say, oh, heck, what did I do now? Your trust level with that person is zero. And the reason people feel that way almost everywhere I go is because when you get to be a leader that's in charge of 200 people, it's easy to hypnotize yourself into thinking that meetings and spreadsheets are leadership. And so the only time you motivate yourself to get out in the field and be amongst the people is when somebody's in trouble and you got to go read somebody the riot act. Well, what you do is you get out ahead of the five to one trust building communication curve. And I would imagine that when you show up at the job sites that you rotate through to be available to people, they look you in the eye and say, well, Dr. Shuf, what are you doing here? To what do we owe this unexpected pleasure more often than not? Yeah. And I, and I usually come announced, but still, right. yeah, it, it's, hey, it's good to see you. Thank you for coming. And, and I love it when they say, so what, what's your message to us today? What do you need us to do? And I love when I can say nothing. I'm here to listen and I'm here to support. Um, and, and, and again, you can just watch a wave of relief come over their faces. It's fun to do. Yeah, because doctors are typically top down. In our clinical role, what we do is we diagnose and we treat. We figure out what's going on as best we can. And then we give instructions to the team telling them exactly what we want them to do. And the essence of a servant leader, somebody who's serving their people, is that you lead by asking questions. And that's something we've always taught, but it's very, very much against how a doctor is trained to lead a clinical care team. So you have to take your doctor hat off and lead by asking questions. So let me, give me an example. And again, you've got 200 folks. You got 20, was it 22 offices? Yep. Give me an example. Here's another thing I see is people don't structure it, don't schedule it, don't hold themselves accountable to be out amongst their people. What is the actual rotation that you use to make sure that you're out amongst your people and that you rotate so that they all get similar touches? Well, fortunately, I have a wonderful administrative helper who runs calendar work for me. But my setup is that my goal is a minimum of twice a week, I'm out visiting some clinic doing something. And we keep track of the schedule of doing that. And and so even with that, and one day a week, you ask the question about what's my time. I forgot to answer that part. I am 80% leadership, 
20% clinical. So basically four days a week, I'm out leading and one day a week, I'm seeing patients. And let's just tell everybody who's listening the full setup here, because one of the things that also doesn't happen very often is that physician leaders don't get respect in terms of dedicated time and money for their physician leadership activities. So you're four days a week leadership, one day a week clinical, because your group has said we need to have, we need to have our leaders work in the systems that we're making everybody else where you got to know what the EMR is going on. You got to experience yourself. And yeah. then my, I also know how you get paid. Tell us how you get paid. So I'm, a, I'm on a strict salary. So it's just a flat salary. The expectation is there. If I ditched out of clinic one day because there was a fire burning somewhere I got to take care of, as long as I didn't abandon patients, that's understood. But yes, if there's ever a question, somebody can look back and say, were you doing your patient care? Were you doing your leadership? But it is just a flat salary and, and the trust model of, are, can you get your job done? Just to say, so I'm talking with Mike, who is an excellent practitioner of servant leadership and a magnificent communicator, but watch the way his organization has set him up for success. He has 0.8 FTE, a flat salary, so it doesn't matter whether he's work, doing leadership work or seeing patients, although he is expected to see patients one day a month. He's got two assistants. It's actually a triad. He's got somebody who does his scheduling. So he's getting respect in the form of pay and time and administrative support. That's extremely important. If you don't provide all of that, you're hamstringing your leaders. And I'll also say, Mike, that you also have what is it's getting a little hot in there because you've got 200 folks in 22 clinics. That's about as big as you can go and still do a really good job of communicating in people. Usually about 150, between 150, 200, it escapes the ability for you to manage it. So the only concern I have about you and your leadership style is that they may give you too much and you may not be able to do those kind of rounds. So let's say... No, no. And let me just throw in one other piece about that, that leadership structure. We do have in all of our clinics a medical site leader. Now, they don't have – they can get a little compensation, not a whole lot for some hours that they spend doing that. But they're my, my boots on the ground all day, every day. They'll do some of the – if there's a corrective thing that we need to work on, they'll do some of the initial stuff. But when it starts to get into some significant conversations about work standards or whatever, then that's where I jump in. But they're there leading their team, leading their monthly provider meetings, leading their quality efforts, or or leading the person who's leading it in the team. So we do have somebody in each clinic that's designated as kind of the leader of that group of partners. So 20 plus frontline leaders and then you? Yeah. Again, optimal, right? So in a lot, I've seen cases. I mean, I tell, I've told you this story before. I've worked with the system before where I was working with a doctor in one of the outlying primary care clinics. And I said, Hey, sounds like you need some help from above. Who's, who's your boss? And she said, Do you mean the CMO? And I said, I don't know. How many people report to the CMO? She said 352. And I said, have you ever met this guy? She said, no. How long have you been here? Seven years. It's like, okay, it's probably not that guy, but the group had grown so fast that there's no leadership layers in between. So if I'm on site in any one of your clinics, I can turn to my on-site medical director. If they need backup, they can turn to you and you've got time, you've got pay, and you've got administrative support. Exactly. Perfect. It's really important to know that this doesn't, this isn't manufactured out of thin air. You create the ability to lead in this fashion by paying respect in those three ways, time, money, support. 
So you make sure that you're out in the clinics two half days a week? Well, yeah, it may not be a full half day. So so twice a week. So again, out of my administrative time, two of those four days, there's some time where I'm in a clinic working with people. So this morning, for example, uh, and the other part of that is I talk to the managers and the site leaders and say, what, what's an ideal time to come visit? So I've had, when I was in full practice, we had some of our leaders come to visit the clinic and we get this message saying, so-and-so is going to be there between 10 and 1130 and he's going to be around the building. Well, I'm in the middle of seeing patients. And so they'd stop by and, and if they caught me between patients, hey, Mike, how's it going? The answer was always fine. What can we do for you? Nothing, because I want you to get out of my way <laughs> so I can stay on schedule and see some more patients. Right. Uh, and so, you know, you're more of a distraction. So I asked, when, when is it good to come? And some clients, well, anytime over a noon hour. And, and we were spaced out. So maybe if you show up at 1130 and you stay till one or so or 130, people can stop by and see you and you wander around and say hi and then whatever. Or this morning, it was their monthly provider meeting. So at 730 this morning, I was at one of our clinics. And, and sat in on their monthly provider meeting and, and, and had some time to be able to chat and kind of hear and listen and, and just even to listen to what their normal problems are that I come to, so again, what's best for you Friday afternoon? This one blew me away, but it was the best time that they wanted me. They said, come Friday at four o'clock. I said, Friday at four o'clock? I'm trying to get out of the place and cram the last few patients in. And really? And they said, yeah, that's the best time for us. Said, All right, I'm there. There you we'll go. Do it. There you go. Um, with that twice a week. And so what, what that means, unfortunately, is it takes me almost three months to come back. It's a commitment, but I recognize that, and, and there's times where I'm back for other reasons, but but for a routine visit and let's hang out for a few hours, it, it's about three months before I can come back. Right. And so if I'm somebody who works out in one of these clinics, I might see you, and I'm just going to clarify, routinely every quarter. Yes. Okay, cool. And again, the reason I'm talking to you today, Mike, is that that's just extraordinary. It's extraordinary to see somebody committed to that kind of rounding on and shadowing your people, because typically that kind of a scenario where you're building a rotation like that would be something that's the exception, not the rule. And some senior leader would be doing this as some sort of roadshow for some specific purpose rather than part of the way they lead naturally and automatically. So another thing that's really important is this whole lead by asking questions. Tell us about how you personally lead by asking questions and how you arrived on this as being your style of being a leader. Well, certainly there's plenty of readings you can do about it. And, and one of the things interesting about my life, and, I, and I'm an older guy, I've been a doc for 28 years. There was some natural pickup on this and with my other leadership and other parts of my life. Now that I'm in this position, I've read things about powerful questions like, oh, that's what I've been doing all along. That's interesting and, and, and gotten better at it. But as I interviewed for the position, one of the key messages I told everybody, because I really believe this, I don't have the answers. And I certainly don't believe the person in this chair needs to have the answers. The best answers come from within. They come from where the problem is. And of our 22 clinics, the right answer is probably 10 to 12, maybe even 22 different versions of it. There needs to be some standardization, but the exact application depends on you and your staff and your patients and, and whatever else. But, but I'm a resource that, yes, when there's a question, how do you do and what's this and what's the policy on or, or a medical factor? How do we handle patients, kids that have had COVID and are trying to get back to high-level sports? How do you do that? Well, you could find that as a, as a family doc, but do you have time to do that? I've got some time to do that for you. Let me help get that out and get that out to all of our system. So 
the question asking really is, what's going on? How are you? And then to mean that, that's one thing I've learned really importantly, is not how are you as a salutation, but to really look them in the eye and, and say, how are you? And then how are how is the clinic? What can we do to help you? What support do you need? What should I know? That's kind of oftentimes one of my concluding comments if I'm with one-on-one with someone would be, what else do I need to know about you or the clinic? And that's where it comes to. Uh, and yeah, I may have a little message I want to sneak in somewhere in the middle of that, but that's to me the secondary agenda. Yep. There's ways to follow that same script and not meet a word of it. <laughs> and I'm sure that's not true for you. I hope not. Yeah, you hope not. That's all we can hope for is leaders who say, when I go out and I ask questions like that, I hope that I come across sincerely because I feel in my bones that I am. Yeah. Right on. Well, it's just been really fun hosting our retreat follow-up calls, being witness to you just telling people what you do ordinarily and me going, oh my gosh, he's doing it again. (laughs) And having to point out to people that that's a best practice. I have not seen somebody better at communicating than you. And it reaps the benefit of, and, and again, this is a book about trust. It's called The Speed of Trust. With that amount of trust in the system, because you're at five to one with almost everybody, I would imagine that things move a little easier and that things get done with a little more speed than if you didn't communicate in this way routinely. I hope so, yes. Yep. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. Yeah. Go ahead. You were going to say something. And it's so much fun. There you go. Answering emails is essential and, you know, meetings and whatever else. And especially for us as physicians, and maybe I'll even throw in maybe a little more of us with some primary care. That's where we are. I'm an introvert by heart, but I do get great joy and satisfaction out of my relationships with people. And so being out, being with people, sharing a smile, putting, when it isn't COVID, putting your hand on the back and saying, great job, keep it up. That's the greatest joy. That's a servant leader. Thanks so much, Mac. I really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. You keep up the great work. You keep safe. Keep your people safe, too. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate your help.